all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and, and they you got to get them off welfare. All right, welcome to Cars and Comrades, your socialist car podcast, or I guess it's majority anarchist now, uh, since Brandon isn't here this week, but uh, got me, Bryant, Zach, and Connor here. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Uh, yeah, not too bad. So uh, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about Bill Lear. Um, he was an interesting guy. You might know him for the Learjet, but he was involved in a lot of automotive stuff as well. Uh, so we'll go into that. And it's not going to be the most politics heavy podcast, although it will touch on the communist revolution in Romania. And wow, uh, hold little... on. Wow. <laughs> just just highly specific. Yeah, I was not expecting that. <laughs> I mean, um, just a tangent uh, in there. But um, also, and then also... I, didn't know, I didn't know there was communists in Romania. So goes to show what I know. <laughs> I mean, there were uh, they. They weren't the greatest uh, communist, but, you know, they did some. Yeah, no, nowhere was, unfortunately, <laughs> it seems. <laughs> um, but uh, all things are politics. So, yes, exactly. Good enough. <laughs> so uh, I guess before that, we'll do a little project car update, although I, I think it's not been such a long time since we uh, we uh, did that. I don't Was it a week or two weeks ago that we talked last? I can't even remember. <laughs> I mean, technically, you know, it was like 15 minutes, but yeah, we'll yeah, yeah, minutes, I mean, as far as uh, as far as doing a, a project car update, that was two weeks ago, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but that's usually yeah. how long it is. And we okay. still have long, long lists of shit. It's mostly yeah. just shit getting worse. Yeah. Yep. Well, I haven't done a whole lot on my I haven't done anything on my car, but I did fuck around with my bicycle this week and I, I managed to change a flat tire, you know, put in a new tube. Nice. And, uh, you know, cleaned and re-greased the chain. And then I changed out the uh, shifter cables because they were binding up on me and they were kind of just old and janky in general. But I have had a real hard time uh, getting the derailleur adjusted, especially on the front one. So I kind of just quit on that on Monday. And uh, and then my back has been hurting and I haven't done anything else. So that's where I'm at. Ooh, what kind of bike is it? I'm just curious. It's a specialized mountain bike, a pretty ordinary hardtail with a hydraulic front fork. And I'm what does thinking that mean? about a, speciali- a specialized ordinary mountain bike. Uh, specialized <laughs> is the brand name. Oh, <laughs> I was so confused. <laughs> yeah. like, is it special or is it regular? I'm I'm lost right now. Boy, there goes. That goes to the uh, the whole uh, advertising thing we were talking about in right. this episode. <laughs> we're yeah. the specialized generic bike company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a unique ordinary bike. Um, <laughs> Very cool though. Yeah, highly custom something. off the shelf. <laughs> I am thinking about putting an electric motor on it. Um, so we'll see if I do that. It'd be like around seven hundred bucks, eight hundred bucks for Oof. 
That's, yeah. That's, wow. Why, that is a lot more than I was expecting. Yikes. Well, they're they're kind of in demand right now. Um, mm, if I wanted yeah. to go the other route, I could get one of those uh, Chinese two-stroke motors that I was Don't talking do about. That. Don't do that. I've, I've, I've learned too much about how bad those are for the environment. <laughs> They're so bad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's all I got. Um, I guess, Connor, it's your turn um, since Brandon's not here. Okay. Um, well, I, uh, I, w- I wish I could say I haven't done much, but I have. Well, I haven't. I, the cars had to go to the shop for multiple issues, which mostly just to get some odds and ends fixed up because like... You know, I brought it in. And I was like, all right, I need some shit to work. I had some wheel studs that I needed replaced, which I could do, but uh, my neighbors would not appreciate me doing that job. <laughs> <laughs> so if you don't know, you have to hammer those the fuck out. And if that seems really hard to do, it's because it is. So uh, I also don't have an impact that is like strong enough to like re get new st- this was just a job that I was like, yeah, I'm not interested in doing this. Yeah. I've done it with a breaker bar, like a, like, you know, cheater oh. bar or whatever. But Jesus, how long did that take you? Uh, good, a good portion of an hour, I, I want to say. Oh, that's not so bad. Well, yeah. yeah I, I mean, anyway, hours. I didn't want to do it. Um, plus, you know, I just had shit stacking up. The AC wasn't working. So I was like, hey, if you could take a look at that. AC's not working. Need some wheel studs done. Because I, at the drift event, I knew... Like I took them wheels off to adjust the uh, drum brakes before the drift event, like a week or two before that. And uh, some of those lugs came off real hot. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, something ain't right. And then at the drift event, they were working. It was fine. But like you're I'm taking them off and putting them on. I'm like, there's a lot of tension on these lugs and there's nothing. You know, they got to get changed. So I, they were. Go- I think do those have the 125 uh, thread pitch like. Uh, yes. Like on Subarus. Yeah. 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 And all the problems that I was talking about last time. Well, and like, it's just, it's exacerbated by the fact that like in a drift car, like I'm used, those wheel studs see a lot of action. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Years of taking wheels on and off constantly. Yeah. I'm surprised they lasted as long as they did. So I had a few of those replaced. Um, And then I also had them just replace the door lock actuator because on the driver's side, that was getting stuck. And that was very, very unpleasant, uh, especially when I'm like in the field working and like the driver's door won't open and I have to crawl into the car on the passenger side. Just not pleasant. But I'm sure I'm sure a lot of our listeners know what it's like to crawl into the driver's seat from another door. <laughs> We've all been there. Um, oh, yeah. So I did not like doing that. And so I had him change that while he was at it. So. Had a bunch of things fixed. The AC, which has not worked in my car, even after I used one of those uh, AC recharge things, my guy at the shop actually used another one, and that worked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which it says in the instructions, like, okay, once you're in the green, like, don't use any more. You might overfill it. So, but he tried it, and it worked fine-ish, although uh, it seems like something is leaking or there's something else wrong with it, because after a couple days it did start making a noise. So after like when I rev up, it just sounds like, Ooh, and I was like, Oh, that's only when the AC is on. So it doesn't sound great. Um, yeah, also might have like some air or water in the, in the probably system or something. almost certainly. He said, I did see some bubbles in like the little valve and I was like, okay, I'll keep an eye on that. I'm going to hope that it works out fine, but 
it didn't. So there is theoretically a leak or some air in the system or something. It makes an annoying noise. And if I idle for more than like 10 minutes with the AC on, such as to like eat my lunch um, on a hundred degree day, uh, it will stop being cold. Uh, And then also after I did that, my clutch pedal didn't return while I was at work. So like, yeah, I went to the floor and then I had like an inch of engagement. So like I, I was like, I have no idea if those are related, by the way. Not a clue. Um, it only happened once. And I drove for like a couple miles like that because um, like I had like an inch worth of like pedal use. Uh, and then I was also trying to like shift without using the clutch as much as I could. <laughs> so um, oh, yeah, that's I did always that. fun. <laughs> it's like, I've been there. Yeah, and like, I'm driving. How good am I at rev matching? Let's find out. <laughs> yeah, and I'm driving, by the way, in the city of Chicago when I'm like in the field. Like everything I do is in the city of Chicago. So, like, I have to go over speed humps and shit. <laughs> like, this was unpleasant. Um, and I, at first, I thought it was like, maybe it's just in my head. I, at first, I was like, boy, it seems like the clutch isn't returning, but maybe it's just in my head because it's like there. But, like, it felt wrong. And then I started the car. I was like, I don't know. It seems like maybe it's fine. And then I stalled it immediately. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, something's wrong. But I drove it for a couple miles. And then in traffic, uh, it just came back. I mean, it's it came back like weirdly. It was like, okay, now it'll come all the way up. But then the first like 90% of the pedal is just like air. Like it's just not even there. And then it finally got some tension back. And it hasn't happened since. So yeah, sounds like weird. me to bleed the clutch. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what it is. If it's bleed the clutch, I've never I didn't look it up yet. The symptoms, but like I don't know if y'all have experienced that. It just seemed weird that it went back to normal. <laughs> I've had almost the exact same thing happen on my Subaru, and I gotta be honest, I'm not exactly sure what the issue is because mine will just randomly go out like that. Like you yeah. said, like the top ninety percent is just gone. And then everything yeah. happens in that last little bit yeah. of pedal motion, but it'll just come back and be fine for <laughs> months at a time. Like, I think the last time it happened has been over a year it, and I don't yeah. do anything. Like I haven't, I've not done a goddamn thing. Like, yeah, I've not so even like, tried I'm, to fix it. I, and this so happened I like know. several days ago. I'm like, I'm, if it ain't fake, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it's currently not broke. Was it a, uh, uh, was it on a day that it was pretty hot out? It was. Okay, because uh, you might have like water really in hot. you might have water in the fluid. Because mm. I think most cars use brake fluid as clutch fluid. Did yeah. they do? Yep. Mine and is. that's like like what Brandon was talking about. Um, it's it'll attract water. It'll absorb water from the air. That's true. So if if you have like a little bit of a leak and some air or gets in there, it can get some water, and then then when you know it boils or whatever, it'll expand. I think I'm pretty sure I've bled it last with uh, dot four. And I think dot four mm. prevents that. Yeah, I thought. But then again, then again, I don't fucking know that for sure. So maybe I should just bleed it because like I had to replace the slave uh, when we did the clutch a couple years ago. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'll just bleed it out. Couldn't hurt. Yeah, if it's something that you can get to easily. I mean, yeah, it's to... it's pretty easy if I remember correctly. Okay. So. Um, yeah, I might just try and bleed it then. Yeah, probably not a bad idea. Um, so anyway, that's pretty much where I'm at. I had a bunch of things fixed, which was really cool. The 
other thing that I had fixed at the shop, I didn't mention just yet because I have a very special edition of Project Car Updates this week. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I got one of those classic letters from an angry neighbor about my car. (laughs) About which car? Uh, The Z. Okay. So uh, I recently moved in. We, we, you know, we changed where we live. We're, we moved into a townhouse that we're renting right now because, you know, we needed space for the dog and everything. So uh, then in our mailbox, we got an anonymous letter for from a neighbor, <laughs> uh, which I'm going to sure read. Right. Good one. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is great. It's wonderful. <clears throat> Hello, sir. Uh, I'm going to ask you in the nicest way possible, by the way. Not the nicest way possible. (laughs) Can you please do something about your loud car? Exclamation point. You disrupt the entire neighborhood and wake up my children. Please do something about the loud pipes or your muffler. Our neighborhood was quiet before you unfortunately moved in. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So going to be honest. They did not try and be nice. And a part of me is just kind of like, yes, it is unfortunate that I moved in here. Have a nice day. It's unfortunate. That sucks. You know, so I do not want to accommodate this person any more than I need to because fuck this person. But I also don't want to be disruptive. I genuinely do not try to be an asshole like, I try not to rev the car in the neighborhood. Like, I come in off the street. Like, I turn in really fast. And I keep it in second gear. And just, like, I'll blip it to get up the hill a little bit. So I'll get up to, like, 2,000 RPM. And then I'll just just ramming speed up into my driveway. Like, as fast <laughs> as I can. As quietly as possible. So I've already been doing that. I did have to move the cars a couple times, like, at night. So, like... You know, it's 930 or 10 o'clock at night and it's like, oh, I have to switch like mine and my partner's cars because she's going somewhere early or, or whatever the case may be. So I've I have done that and I'm like, OK, one, it's good to know if if this is if this is something that you can hear, I don't want to be disturbing you. So like I can try and not move the cars after a certain point, shit like that. But this letter pissed me off. <laughs> yeah. It was like, hmm, yeah. fuck you a little bit. So I did, unfortunately, have to spend a good hour or two reading all of the rules and regulations of the HOA and looking up local ordinances and state laws to make sure I was covering my bases. Because the way this letter is written uh, is not giving, they don't give me a time range of like, hey, can you not run the car after whatever time? shit like that it's just can you do something about the loud car and so it's like oh i have a feeling this is going to be an issue no matter what time i do it it's kind of like saying can you fuck off please yes exactly (laughs) that's exactly what they're saying could you just not have that car and it's like uh look uh i have spent uh more money on this car than your car is worth i guarantee it like yeah i spent a lot of money on this shit it's going to be what it is now at the same time i've decided okay 
there's a place out like, just outside the neighborhood on like a main road where I can park it if I come in late or I have to leave early or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, and I can make an effort to like, okay, maybe I shouldn't, you know, be running the car at, you know, whatever at 9 p.m. Like, I can try and appease this person as much as possible. I just don't know how good that's going to do. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I discovered in my research that Illinois has a state law that is not really enforced, but does exist, uh, that you cannot have any exhaust system that amplifies the sound over what the OEM exhaust sounds like. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would. Now, trust me, you wouldn't fucking know it living here. Um, and the last place I lived, we lived on like the ninth floor right next to a very busy street where all the fucking every cruise night that happened in Chicago. I'm telling you, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights, we heard cars ripping down our street constantly. Like every light, there was a just a hundred cars going by, like all Challengers, Chargers, Mustangs. And those Mustangs are fucking crazy loud. Just the new five O's. Holy oh, yeah. Christ. Yeah, I oh, actually yeah. I actually do think they're a little too loud. <laughs> I think I'm like, that's excessive. But. Um, so I looked up the laws and everything and I was just like, man, again, I don't want my car to be, I don't want to be an asshole. I don't want my car to be disruptive. I genuinely do not. So like, I'm willing to like, okay, do what I got to do to keep this person off my back. And I did have a little bit of an exhaust leak from where the test pipes were. And I, I have waited seven months to get new catalytic converters, seven fucking months and they finally came in literally the week that i got this letter (laughs) (laughs) so i had my uh, my guy at the shop put those on as well um which they sound awesome like it's great the car i think me personally i think the car is a lot quieter now there's no leak or there is again because i've driven it a week with brand new exhaust components so i have to like crawl under there and retighten it because it kind of just loosens up in that first week or two. So uh, I do want to just tighten it up real quick. Uh, but it doesn't have a bad leak at all. Like it's just barely there. So generally it doesn't really have a leak anymore. And I think the cats quiet it up quite a bit and give it a nice kind of sound quality to it. Yeah. So I think that's great. I think that will hopefully help. At the same time, I have read a little bit more about, which I can't get good information on, but... Uh, catalytic converters and like big obnoxious flame tunes like the one i have probably not good yeah. so uh i think i'm gonna not run my my flame tune for a while as much as i i want catalytic converters on my car all the time i do think i'm gonna get an extra set of test pipes to put on like next summer so like just for like drift events and stuff i can run the flame map and shit and like be a obnoxious ass wipe um for like six months out of the year and then i'd like to have a nice winter setup that is like polluting less and stuff but we'll see maybe i won't um i've gone this long without a obnoxious flame map and uh maybe i can just go without it longer i'm just mad because like i feel like the car wasn't tuned right and i never got a chance to really enjoy the flames and no one has filmed me do it so (laughs) (laughs) That's really what it comes down to is I don't have any evidence that I ever had really cool flames coming out of my tailpipe and it does annoy me a little bit. So just yeah, uh, and you gotta squirt get... a little lighter fluid in the in the muffler and 
<laughs> yeah, that that's a quick. that's a great way to burn a muffler or uh, burn a bumper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so got this letter, and literally, like the day I got, we actually I opened the letter was the day I was driving the car to the shop. Like literally right after I got the letter, I drove to the shop because the car, it was Friday. It was like, okay, this is the day we decided to bring the car by. So uh, it does sound really cool with cats on. I think it doesn't sound as raspy and shit and it does sound quieter to me. So um, I am, I have done everything I reasonably can to appease this person. And I really hope to God it's enough but uh, I kind of suspect that it won't be because the way this is written is just like, can you just not have that car anymore? Yeah. <laughs> Instead yeah. of here's the time that I want you to not run it or whatever. I'm like, I have fixed it. And I'm also not trying, trying not to run it after 8 PM. Hopefully that's enough. But uh, yeah, who knows? I, gotta, I may have cops coming to my door soon. I really have a feeling that this person, like you said, because they didn't give any like specific requests, like, hey, this is like, you know, the time that I'd like to not hear it from this time to this time, this or that, you know, they're just they just want to complain and they just want you to not have the car, like you said. So I think that there's really not going to be any appeasing them. No, I don't think so either. I'm covering Um, my ass here. Like, like, and here's the other thing, by the way, uh, I don't want to like. I don't want anyone to think like, oh, Connor's an asshole. Like, I would be more than happy to work with this person if they actually sent a letter like, hey, you know what? The car is a little disruptive and it's a problem late at night. You know, if you could work with us to like not, hey, I'm happy. Like, oh, I didn't know you could hear this from inside your house. If you can't, I don't I really don't want to be an asshole. I, I try already. I thought I was trying enough to be quiet, but I can try more. Like, I don't want to be an asshole. I'm not like here like fuck you my car's loud too bad i'm like no no, no I, I i get it. it's loud i i don't want to disturb anybody um so like this letter could have been written in a way that i'd be more than happy to help but like when you're just like oh our neighborhood was quiet before you unfortunately moved in i'm kind of like okay you don't have a quiet neighborhood anymore what's it to me motherfucker <laughs> yeah. your ki- your kids aren't complaining to me they're complaining to you i don't give a shit <laughs> but <laughs> You know, again, I don't want to be an asshole um, and I really do not want police coming to my door um, because that's going to piss me off. And so, yeah, and I don't want any HOA trying to evict us. Like, I just don't want to go. I don't want this to escalate, but I I, kind of have a feeling that uh, this may not be avoidable. So, I mean, maybe this person just has like good tastes and hates the sound of a VQ. um so yeah anyway i feel like that's kind of a long update but uh yeah the i got the the classic angry neighbor letter so yeah (laughs) you know what i think you should do is put the quietest exhaust you can on your 350 z and then buy a two-stroke scooter (laughs) giant (laughs) giant expansion pipe on it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and idle it right outside yeah idle it right outside their window yeah. i think i know which neighbor it is too i think but i don't know but i think i know yeah it's one of those where i'm like i think i know who it is but it's almost uh, always the one you think it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah no like like you know i am about 30 years old i'm over the like 
I am still a punk kid at heart, but like, not it. I'm like, okay, I'm not trying to be a fucking jerk. Like, I'm really not. I get that it's loud. I really don't want to disturb anybody. Um, that is not my intention. I daily drive a race car. I get it, but like a, a slow race car. But it's like, but hey, I'm willing to work with these people. I just wish like they could have written this letter in a way that wasn't being a piece of shit about it. And I'm just like, mm, I'm not super into helping you right now. I would be happy to help you if you had written this nicely, but mm, now I'm just doing it to cover my ass. So like, yeah. So if you ever have to write a letter to a neighbor, just like kindly inform them that there's an issue is a lot better than like, fuck you. Our neighborhood was great before you came. That doesn't help. So. (laughs) So anyway, yep, that's me. All right, I guess that's my turn. I haven't gotten any complaints from the neighbors recently that I know of anyway. Uh, yeah, this is my first one. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I think several of my neighbors have uh, modified cars. So, like, I, I don't think I would be the first target. <laughs> luckily, my... that's, that's good situation. Yeah. yeah I my... mean, where I live, there was, uh, until recently, someone living in a in a Chevy trailblazer in the guest parking lot. So nice. I, I, I have the least worst uh, car around here. <laughs> yeah. One of my neighbors has one of those Pontiac skies or a uh, Pontiac oh, solstice. Cool yeah. yeah those sky. Are cool as fuck. It's got an LSX in it. Ooh. What? Oh yeah. my God. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's a monster. It, the thing's insane. He's got I two bet. of them. He's got two of them, actually. I don't know if they both have LSs in them, but yeah, the one that I've seen definitely has a big old LSX in it. Like, that's Jesus. fucking crazy, man. Okay. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's the first target. You're, you're, you're safe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're if safe. they're coming for anyone, they're coming for that guy. So, I'm good. I do uh, work on my truck in the street a lot, which I think people aren't super happy about, but, like, uh, what are you going to do? You know, they haven't written me letters about it. Uh, but I haven't really been doing a whole lot of work on any of my cars recently. I uh, I had a clunky sound coming from my pickup. My, my Ranger was was making a weird little thump noise that I thought might be a wheel bearing, um, which I was going to be really upset about because that would have been a lot of work. But I just took the wheel off and like looked around in there to see if you know something got stuck in there or or if I could just see what was going on and I put the wheel back on and it stopped making the noise. So I'm calling that <laughs> <All> fixed. <right. laughs> uh, yeah. And then, uh, my, my AC went out. Uh, but that's, I know why that went out. I have a brass fitting, uh, soldered into a piece of the AC line that <laughs> doesn't have the stock cap <laughs> yeah. anymore. So I just, uh, I know that's leaking. Um, which has sucked because it's been like 90 degrees every day here. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah. Um, and my, uh, my window motor's going out. So yeah, I just have problems and no solutions. I'm not, I, I'm not working on shit. I'm just finding more. You're issues. in the, uh, the problem collection stage. You're exactly. Taking notes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Writing them all down. I'm like, well, when these become an actual issue, because if I can't roll my window down anymore, because the window motor went out and I don't have AC, and I have to do something, you know, I yep. can't just sit yeah, around then and you be can't like, park hey. outside. yeah, that, that'll be a, a big issue. But until then, nah, it's, it's running, it's driving. I, uh, I, I have kept that. my passenger window shut for like eight years. 
Motor Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> until that one person comes into the car and like sits down and immediately hits the button and you're like, God damn it! I got no, I got, a, I had a window lock button. Oh, yep. that's so, so I was nice. able to just like, oh yeah, that window doesn't work <laughs> for like eight years. It has been this way since pretty much I've owned the car. It's just like, oh, that window doesn't work. Um, it awesome. kind of works now, so I can lower it, but I, it doesn't work right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I got to replace the door eventually. Like, it's the driver's side window and the driver's side door is all smashed in. So mm. I'll have to get in there and replace that eventually anyway. Oh, yeah. Just wait so, for that then. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to deal with it then. But um, no, I, I installed a uh, transmission oil temp gauge on my truck because, you know, that last yep. hullabaloo with the transmission, it overheated and it's been staying relatively cool i mean from what i've read it should be between like 180 and 225 and i haven't seen it go above 215 so i'm i'm cool with that good that's acceptable so yeah it's actually running and driving fairly well save for a few small issues but yeah for the time being i'm just gonna keep driving it and and just cross my fingers that nothing else happens good so yeah quick one for me this week well, right. since you had a quick one, I, something you said did remind me of another thing I found. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's always another thing. You mentioned the clunking, and I was like, oh, yeah. One of the things my uh, my mechanic guy found, he showed me a video of it. He's like, oh, yeah. When I was taking the, the driver's side rear wheel off, I noticed some play in the wheel. <laughs> and he shows me in the video, and like the wheel is just <laughs> like an inch of play. Oh, and boy. it's there's a whole control arm on the bottom, the camber arm. And it's just clunk 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 and i'm like what the fuck and it's right at the eccentric bolt which Uh if you know any listeners remember was where that one shop that i really fucking hate broke some shit even though they weren't supposed to be touching it and i was like why did you touch that shit and they're like oh we were doing the alignment i said yeah remember when i said don't touch the rear wheels and you fucking did and broke some shit well that's where the uh the the arm is just like fucking that that bolt is like moving like a motherfucker so yeah it's just it's a big bolt hole and it's just like come loose and so there's like a good by the time it gets to like where the wheel is there is like an inch of play it's probably not gonna break um so i'm gonna go ahead and drift on it anyway but uh it is just one more thing that i gotta fix sooner rather than later now yeah that sounds like a big deal it's yeah, look, it's a big enough deal, but I'm still going to drift on it. I I was about to complain about how uh, my MR2, if I'm driving on grooved concrete pavement, it uh kind of wiggles a little at 60 miles an hour. But uh, that's nothing compared. Oh, is that to not that. normal for you? <laughs> my, shit, my shit just does that as for years now. Yeah, I think it's probably the I, I, aggressive I, setup. Yeah, I'm thinking I might need to replace my uh, tie rod ends, but um, yeah, you you might want to get that looked at. I I also, I mean, also I just need to replace every single bushing in that car because they're all <laughs> 35 years old and about to crumble to dust. So that could have something to do with it. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> oh, should we uh, should we start on Bill Lear? Uh, here in a minute or uh, should we take a quick break we should if we could take a quick break though uh, I have been consuming alcohol and so there are some consequences to that (laughs) all right (laughs) 
right, we're back and we're talking about William Powell Lear, the inventor of the Learjet and many more things. So I'll just start off. I'll try to be a little bit brief on the early history of his life uh, because more the stuff that I'm interested in came towards the end. But uh, he was a very interesting guy and um, had a big impact in uh, cars, aviation, radio, all kinds of different things. Those are very unrelated fields. (laughs) So William Powell Lear was born on June 26, 1902 in Hannibal, Missouri, also the hometown of Mark Twain, to Reuben Marion Lear, a carpenter, and Gertrude Elizabeth Powell Lear. And uh, his uh, parents eventually divorced when he was a kid, and he went to live with his mom in Chicago. And uh, he worked briefly at an airfield there and got sort of a taste for aviation. He went back one summer to his uh, father's house in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and rebuilt a Model T car with him. Uh, And then he joined the Navy as a teenager. He never finished high school and was sent to the Great Lakes Naval Training Station uh, where he started to learn about radio. So he was a radio operator with the Navy. And okay. then after... that makes sense there that <laughs> now I can see where that comes from. Okay. Yeah. So you can see kind of the beginning of, of some of his interests coming in here. He uh, opened a radio repair business after, uh, you know, his discharge from the Navy. And uh, he was married at the time to Ethel Peterson Lear. And they had a daughter together in 1925, uh, Mary Louise. In 1924, uh, Lear invented what was called the B battery eliminator. And back in those days, uh, radios needed two batteries, one for just the regular circuitry and one for the high voltage uh, vacuum tubes. Um, They Hmm. needed a slightly higher voltage and you needed something called a B battery to power those. And he invented a little transformer that would step up the voltage from the main battery and um, Ah, power the high voltage uh, circuitry. Interesting. Um, So he he also found a way to miniaturize radio tuning coils. And I don't quite understand the science of this, but he was able to use braided copper wire and that shrunk the coils to about a quarter of their size. And so he was able to make a a smaller radio overall. Um, He set up a business in his mom's basement to manufacture these and eventually got a contract to sell 50,000 coils to Zenith. And then as he was making money, he sold this business and uh, invested in the Galvin Manufacturing Company. And he, he didn't just invest in the company. He was involved in their engineering so he uh, helped design the first portable car radio, like a radio that you could actually install in a car. And eventually mm-hmm. the this company changed its name to Motorola. So he was okay. one of the founders of Motorola oh, and one of the inventors of the car radio. Okay, now this seems like a good place to stop. And I want to ask you if in your, 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 at least, you know, whatever limited research you did do here, this story sounds awfully goddamn familiar. Sounds like a trope that we hear today a lot. So I want to ask, I mean, did he really start a business in his mom's basement or was that a ploy to, 
you know, like, was that just a story that he created? Like, uh, Am- like Amazon was uh, Jeff Bezos, like, oh, he started it in his garage, which uh, the truth is he specifically found a house in the suburbs to start the business in the garage so that he would have the story to say. <laughs> and he got like investment from like his wife's parents and his parents like he got hundreds of thousands of dollars, started it technically in a garage, but like it was all for show. Now, Bill Lear, is that where he's coming from? Did he come? I I, I, I don't I don't think you uh, mentioned it specifically, but like, did he come from money or something? Is this a show? Is this like I, I don't know much about his mom's family, but his dad was a carpenter and probably didn't make huge money. Um, okay. And, it you know, of course, I didn't find anything about like, you know, he got help from this or that person. But he did seem to be genuinely a self-taught electrical engineer. So and... Bill Lear, in a way, is like he is the ideal that all the fucking grifters of today are like hearkening back to. Like this story is where like Elon Musk pretends to be what Jeff Bezos pretends to be what Bill Gates pretends to be. It's all basically this fucking guy. Oh, well, hey, I've invented like totally unrelated things. I started a business in a basement. Like, is I mean, he the, is he the start of the trope? In a way, I mean, he did receive the uh, the Horatio Alger Award, I believe, uh, which is a real thing that used to I be don't, around. That is um, a bunch of words that I don't. <laughs> uh, Horatio Alger was the, the like the original uh, like formula for the pull yourself up by your bootstraps story. Oh. <laughs> so it was a it okay. was a, like a fictional thing, and they made oh, an God, award. Boy. But like, there are some parallels to Musk because like, uh, you know, while Bill Lear did know a, a good bit about electronics and avionics and everything, uh, his expertise uh, did run out, and he uh, ended up investing in and uh being involved with some not so scientific and uh you know kind of bullshit ventures in the future interesting so, uh, okay yeah we'll, we'll get to that not surprising at all <laughs> so, so there is a this trend is transcends uh era apparently yeah i just real quick i think it's hilarious that they went to name an award about like self-starters you know the real like renaissance man who pulled himself up for the bootstraps and they're like who do we name after and all they could find yeah. was a fictional character it's fucking great it's just so telling yeah, let me double check that uh i'm gonna look like a real dumbass yeah yep Nin- 1954 member horatio alger association of distinguished americans so yeah he he'd got plenty of these different awards during his career um but uh <laughs> yeah, that, that one is pretty funny. Oh, boy. So uh, in 1926, he married his second wife, Madeline Murphy, and they had um, two kids, William Lear Jr. and Patty. And then he was married a third time to Margaret Raddell. Uh, they had no children. In 1931, Lear bought his first aircraft, a fleet biplane, for $2,500. <laughs> So. Hold on, so so was this a private jet for him? He had already made oh, he'd man. made it to that level at that age. I mean, this is the 30s, so there's no oh, yeah, jet anything, and this is a biplane. It's it's not yeah. it's not like uh, you know. I mean, maybe it was high tech for that time, but something tells me it was kind of uh, an ordinary used airplane. 
Nice. Um, just a normal level of airplane wealth. <laughs> yeah. Not like the, not the jet level yet. Yeah. This is when he founded Allier Developments, a company specializing in aerospace instruments and electronics. And th- these are some of the other legitimate uh, inventions he has uh, credit for. He in- invented the radio direction finder, which is basically like a, a radio compass that you can use um, if you're flying by instruments. He developed uh, some early forms of autopilot and a, the first fully automatic aircraft landing system. Huh. And uh, like I said, it's not quite clear how much he uh, invented in all of these or if he was paying other engineers and taking credit for it because he did do that later in his life, you know, patent things that other people had developed. Gotcha. At his company. Dude, I bet Elon Musk wants to yeah, be this, this guy is like, so I. Bad. Like this is exactly someone what check he does Elon now. Musk's fucking computer. I guarantee you, there are files on this guy's story that he's just ripping off. He's like purposely trying to follow <laughs> the same steps. Yeah, yeah. So that like he, this company developed a uh, a line of panel mounted radios and other instruments for general aviation. Um, so they you know fit in the dashboard of the plane. This uh this is a Lear Avian series of portable radios, which incorporated radio direction finder circuits as well as broadcast band coverage. So you could listen to just the regular terrestrial radio in your airplane, put some tunes nice. on. Hmm. And they sold about a hundred million dollars worth uh during World War Two to uh the war effort. Yeah, it is a fuckload of money. Yeah, that is made made a little bit of money off the uh the war. That's an insane amount of money. In 1941, uh, Lear married his fourth wife, Moya Marie Olson. They had four children together: John Lear. All right, Shanda. hold on. What are we? What What is the tally on the kids now? Are, are we at like what seven, eight? Uh, let's see. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. All right. That wasn't that out that abnormal for the time. Four wives, though that's yeah. that's unusual. That's that's quite a few. Yeah. Uh, so these four killed kids were named John, Shanda, David, and Tina. And I think it's funny that her name was Shanda Lear. <laughs> oh God! I, uh, Oof! Oh my what a God. fucking asshole! That poor girl. Oh my. Yeah. God. Um, I'll have more on his parenting later. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I can't imagine it was the good. greatest. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> oh man! Oof! All right. Uh, that poor, poor girl. I'm. I feel so bad for her. All right. So in in 1960, Lear moved to Switzerland and founded the Swiss American Aviation Company. Uh, their goal was to take this design for the FFA P16 jet fighter. Uh, a project that had been abandoned after two crashes during test flights and convert it into a small business jet. During the brief existence of this company, the exiled King Michael I of Romania met Lear and agreed to work as a test pilot for the Swiss part of the company. So uh, this guy was exiled when the communists took over Romania and kicked him and the rest of the royal family. Nice. So... So this jet had already had two crashes in testing? Yes. Oh, tell me the former king died in a jet crash. 
No, the communists kicked him out. He um Damn it. He survived and actually returned to Romania after the end of communism. Boo. I don't like this story. We should move on. <laughs> yeah. Um before this episode, I had not known that there was ever communists in control in Romania. Uh, to be fair, I knew yeah, almost either. nothing about Romania yeah. anyway, but yeah, bummer. Kings suck. I I I don't know. Yeah. Look, I sit somewhere between, you know, anarchist, Marxist, depends on the day. I think they, I think we should all work together. But nothing really inflames that inner anarchist more than royalty. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, I'm I mean. just like, no, no, all of it. No. Every time I'm watching, you know, you watch Game of Thrones or some old timey show with like, oh, the king's. And I'm like, fuck that king. Chop his head off. You're holding a sword. You're right there. <laughs> chop the fucker's head off. What are you doing? Who is this? All your problems could be solved. Just kill that yeah, motherfucker what are you right doing? now. Just yeah, do why it. does this person have authority over you? They're so weak. Look at them. Kill them. I just, yeah. I feel like we could have skipped. We could have skipped capitalism entirely if we just did the anarchism thing. If if the theory existed at the time, it's like you could just kill the leaders and feudalism would collapse and we could just have social. Like we literally would not have to have all of this, but whatever obviously that's a historical that's not what happened we live in the real world so capitalism came first and now we have to move on but man when i hear anything about royalty and those motherfuckers yeah just kill all royalty oh my god nothing pisses me off more so sorry anyway i mean i guess the good news is that uh there is no more royal royalty in romania but the bad news is this guy lived to 2017. Wow, really? Um, oh my god! Wow. God. Yeah. See, I hate hearing about how long these people live because it's always way too long. Capitalists, royalty, doesn't matter. They all live way too fucking long, except for, you know, the czars of Russia. They met an untimely <laughs> end, and that was good. And and one little tidbit from uh, Michael the First of Romania, his uh, Wikipedia page. Um, he, uh, he met his wife, uh, when he attended the wedding of his cousins, uh, Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip of Greece. So, you know, the current queen of England, uh, is his cousin. And so was, or her husband. And also, uh, Michael's, uh, wife is also his second cousin. So all of these people are cousins, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's... See, that's what's always shocking about how long they live. Right. <laughs> You wouldn't think the incest would allow it, but I guess no, it, so. It's well, I, every once in a while you have, uh, you know, the what's his name from Russia with hemophilia or something, <laughs> or the the what do you call it, the um, the Habsburgs back in the day. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole that it's a whole trope of like ro- you know sickly royalty. <laughs> it's not it's not a coincidence, <laughs> or insane, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that business eventually went bust, but he took the design and moved to Wichita, Kansas, which at the, at that time was kind of a big deal in airplane manufacturing. I think it's still, uh, Cessna is based there. And, uh, and in what time period is this? Cause I'm, I'm trying to like decide, like, were there even buildings in Wichita, Kansas yet or what? Like what, what existed <laughs> there? Okay. So there was towns. Like Wichita was a town. Yeah, no, it was. So 
in October 1963, the first uh, flight of the Learjet 23 uh, was launched. So this was the first mass-produced business jet. It could carry eight passengers at 560 miles per hour and cost about uh, 650000 fully equipped. So uh, a bargain compared to, uh, you know, a Boeing uh, jumbo jet. What did those go for? Uh, it says uh, around a little over a million at the time. Oof. Yeah, okay. In 1963? Yeah. Good God. Okay. That's actually still actually I think that's still even in today's dollars. I think that's still less than they would cost. Like nowadays they cost they're in like tens or hundreds of millions and the inflation rate is not that high. Yeah. I mean, it just says it says 400,000 less than its competitors at the time. So maybe there were smaller like commuter jets that Boeing was selling to as like a business jet yeah but um the learjet was pretty small to Mm. be you know more aerodynamic and and lighter like you couldn't actually stand up in it fully interesting and you know one anecdote is you know a reporter asked bill lear about this and it's like well you can't stand up in a rolls royce but people buy those Hey, that's a good comeback. Okay, <laughs> right, fair point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck you. So, and he's, he also said, you know, it goes 560 miles an hour. You're going to get there pr- plenty quick. You don't need to stand up. Just don't worry about it. <laughs> this, th- this sounds like something I would tell a reporter asked me a stupid question. I feel like I would say, yeah. Yeah. Clever, uh, goofy shit. Bill Lear had a reputation tr- for just fucking with reporters and just telling them bullshit. So a lot of this stuff, it's like, take it with a grain of salt. It's not really clear what was true necessarily. But in uh, 1967, or, oh, excuse me, um, in 1964, uh, Lear invented the 8-track music cartridge. Nice. This is is where we come in. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, this was not like 100% new invention. There was something called a 4-track tape uh that he basically just doubled it up um which itself was a ver a version of a three track system so like they're all just building off each other it's nothing yeah hold on yeah this is just like (laughs) ours is more has more tracks you're like okay where's the 10 track (laughs) well i mean that's just a compact you know cassette or whatever i guess (laughs) yeah they, somebody did the 30 minute abs, so they came in with the 29 minute abs. <laughs> and then he just came in with the 25 minute abs, and everybody was like, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm going to do that. That's way less minutes for the same amount of abs. Yeah. So I, I, I think I know someone that actually has a uh, eight track player out of a Learjet because um, they would install them in the planes. But in 1967, uh, he was hurting for money a little bit, and Bill Lear sold. Uh, the Learjet Corporation to Gates Rubber Company uh, okay. based in Denver. That's weird. What does yeah. this rubber company have to do with anything? So um, there used to be a giant brick building in the middle of Denver that said Gates on it. Uh, and it was abandoned for decades uh, because they moved somewhere else. But they make uh, belts and hoses. Yeah, I was and... about to say they make the belts and hoses. We used to sell yeah. those at the O'Reilly's. Yeah. <laughs> That's where you get your fucking radiator hoses and shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but I mean, they sold, they, they sell like high pressure hydraulic stuff. In fact, one of the companies I used to work for made stuff 
for their high pressure hoses. Um, so they got into the uh, plane business, huh? Yeah, they were making high pressure hoses for planes and stuff. And so and it like, makes well, sense to start making planes entirely. Yeah, exactly. Did they make any fully rubber planes or no? <laughs> no, uh, Goodyear did, though. Um, <laughs> Wait, is that a thing? What? Yeah, no. Yeah, I think it was around the same time in the 60s. Uh, Goodyear Goodyear made something called the inflato plane. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the idea of that was um, it would fit like on a pallet and then you would like. <laughs> You would uh, you would airdrop it with a parachute. Okay. Um, to, like... Of course you would. <laughs> Did they sell this exclusively to Wiley Coyote? <laughs> well, close. They were trying to sell it to the the U.S. Uh, government, the military. Yeah, I'm sure. The idea is that you would drop it to like a pilot that had crashed behind enemy lines, and then he could just like open the crate and unfold everything and pump it up <laughs> and fly away. Okay, I'm going to admit it's. If it works, this is kind of a cool idea, but I've, I've never heard of it, so I'm guessing it didn't work too well. Uh, no, one during a, um, a test flight, one of the wings folded up and it crashed and killed the pilot. <laughs> okay, so well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I know the rubber planes was a bit of a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that. Uh, I'll try and put a link to that in the show notes. It was an interesting... Uh, little thing so in the 1960s there is a big environmentalist movement to get rid of smog in cities you know like la you couldn't see some days and uh you know they're saying it was like as bad as smoking two packs of cigarettes a day just living there yeah so bad yeah uh we've talked about this a little bit before with the epa you know like there was a reason why we needed the epa yeah um so everyone was trying to cut emissions, and one idea that a few people investigated was a steam engine. And this isn't as crazy as it sounds, because in theory, if you have a boiler burning just at a constant rate rather than, you know, little explosions in a car engine, a boiler will burn that fuel more efficiently and have fewer harmful emissions. You can okay. kind of fine tune everything and get it running real clean. I can see this. Yeah. And and people were thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe with our modern technology, we can invent a steam engine that's efficient and reliable and powerful enough for a car. At the same time, in motorsports, uh, there was a lot of experimentation going on, especially at Indianapolis. So a little earlier in 1952, the Cummins Diesel Special set a lap record and qualified for pole position. And then in the 1960s, a British engineer named Ken Wallace worked with a few different companies, uh, Paxton, Lotus, and Shelby, to develop a few different uh, turbine-powered race cars. Hmm. So basically, they got uh, helicopter engines and adapted them for a, uh, a race car. The problem was that the Indy sanctioning body uh, made rules to restrict the intake diameter. Ooh. So that kind of, you know, put the kibosh on any turbine engines. You'd be choking it down to the size of a throttle body on a car. You're not going to be able to run enough air through it to actually make any decent power. Now, Wallace did develop a variable intake uh, to cheat the rules for Shelby. Um, but the Shelby uh, 
you know, crew chiefs were like, no, we're not going to do that. And they withdrew from uh, competition. Hmm. So. And now, and, and Bill Lear had something to do with uh, th- these uh, developments in the motorsports, right? He, he, he was do- working on something with the steam engine, right? Uh, no, he was kind of just sitting around cause he, uh, you know, sold his, uh, Learjet company and he had a few million dollars that he's just kind of burning a hole in his pocket. And, uh, he, he actually went to buy a, a yacht for his son, John, and ran it to this guy, uh, Ken Wallace, uh, you know, who was recently unemployed from being an engineer in these racing teams, uh, okay. and had a had a boat to unload to pay some bills and they got to talking. So Lear had actually been researching um, or he had started a, a small company to research steam engines and steam power uh, during this time to try and beat the smog problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ken Wallace was like, Oh, that'd be awesome. I can design you a steam powered race car that will win at Indy. Because there's no rules for steam engines and we can just do whatever we want. Okay. Hey, I like the way he thinks. I, I like this yeah. Wallace character. <laughs> I was wondering, I was just, I was like, I'm like, I know I've had a, like a couple of beers, but like, how did we get from Bill Lear to this guy? Yeah. Okay. No, I, there's I'm a connection. Okay. So, so uh, Lear was impressed also and hired him on the spot. And he's like, all right, I'm going to give you millions of dollars to develop a race team for a steam powered indie car. Fuck yeah. I'm with it. <laughs> it might weigh 20,000 pounds. It might be a locomotive, but like <laughs> goddamn it it can win. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the two formed a company called Lear Vapordyne in Reno, Nevada to research steam engines for cars, trucks, buses, uh, and the indie car was going to be sort of a demonstration of the technology to show, you know, this is so high tech that we can even win at Indy. Hell yeah. So like pretty much, which is how all motorsports really is. They're all just proving grounds for various companies to do shit, which is fine. But yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, uh, Let's see how this story ends. We don't, (laughs) I don't see steam engines in formula one. So I'm, I'm guessing I could, uh, I could infer what happens, but go on. (laughs) Yeah. So, they they hired um, some engineers named Hugh Carson, Peter Scott Brown, and uh, CFE uh, Gassimani. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Who uh, who's an Iranian guy, and those guys did most of the work. Um, Gassimani designed the boiler, which, by all accounts, was a very good design. Um, it had around 800 feet of stainless steel tubing that was all coiled up, and then it had a kerosene burner in the middle. And the idea being that uh, you don't you don't have a giant big tank of water that you're heating up all at once. You have, you know, a few liters of water that you're heating up, and so that to way it's very much high, lighter to a very high temperature because exactly, it's all in the yeah. path of the flame. Yeah, yeah. So they were shooting for a thousand uh, horsepower and a thousand psi. Um, they didn't quite get there for reasons, but uh, I'll get to that. But he was able to produce enough steam with this uh boiler to make around 700 horsepower (laughs) okay oh only 700 damn yeah so the engine that the uh the other engineers designed 
uh, was based off of the Napier Deltic two-stroke diesel engine. Uh, and this is a large engine that's used or was used in like British Navy vessels and also like diesel electric trains at the time. So this was an interesting design because it had six cylinders, 12 pistons and three crankshafts. And it was all what? in a triangle shape. What? Hold on. So, I got to see the pictures. Yeah. Um, I might have it in another one too, if it's not in that one. <laughs> But I think there's like a. Oh, that is bonkers! Oh, I'm still looking at the the animation. Oh, whoa! So it's like I was... an opposing piston engine, right? Where where the yeah. two pistons are like literally like they could almost touch, and they're in the same cylinder. But then you do this as a triangle, and so the fulcrum yeah. of each pair of pistons is running a, a crankshaft. So there's three crankshafts on. The corners of this triangle. This is bonkers. <laughs> yeah, and it's a really good design for a two-stroke diesel because you get really high compression and really high expansion rates. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> you can do you can do cool things with the the ports in the cylinders because it's a two-stroke. You can have the you know one one piston uncovers the exhaust part port and another uh, uncovers the intake port, and so you can change how it's phased so that your scavenging works better and it builds boost in the cylinder and stuff like that. So it's a pretty ingenious design for a two stroke, but almost none of, yeah, yeah. Almost none of that matters for a steam engine. The one thing that you do get with a steam engine is it's, um, it does have a big expansion rate. So it, it means it's more efficient without having a really long stroke. And so you can in theory, uh, rev it higher. To make more power. Yeah. They designed a rotary valve that went in the middle of the triangle to distribute the steam to each cylinder. And this is when they had their problems um, because, you know, it's it's they couldn't get its seal. It was, um, you know, if they if they had enough clearance to make it spin without seizing up, it would just leak steam and they would only get like 100 horsepower out of the engine. Um, and if they made the tolerances a little tighter, it would just seize up and the engine wouldn't move. So uh, Lear actually bought them a gas turbine engine to take apart and study the gas seals in that. But that didn't help. They they were still having problems with this. Um, so wait, uh, Brian, just, just so I can understand. There yeah. was two different steam engine designs, right? So one was the more traditional steam engine with the like coils um, that are filled with water and heated with well, a kerosene that's, burner. That's a boiler. Yeah. So, Oh, so is that separate from, so that makes the steam that goes into this engine. Exactly. Yeah. With any steam engine, you've got a boiler to make the yeah. steam and then an engine to use the steam to make power. So this engine, I like, I, I guess I'm, what is going into the engine to make the pistons split apart is that the expansion of the steam exactly yeah so steam when it like loses temperature it um contracts excuse me how does this work so if you have steam under pressure um and you let it out into a, a chamber to expand it will expand even more than like uh, compressed air yeah um and there's something to do with temperature and phase change and all that kind of thing that I don't quite understand, but just the physics of steam 
is is water is a good medium for doing this, which is why like um, power plants today use steam turbines, you know? Yeah. Um, you're still boiling water, you know, however many hundred years later, no one's found a really better way around that. Okay. So the steam then expands in this engine, which the engine is a very cool design, but it was leaking and stuff. But I thought you said they were able to achieve like a 700 horsepower ish version of this. Well, that was the potential of the boiler. Oh, it was an, okay. But because of all the leaks, they weren't able to get more than 100 horsepower out of the engine. So basically what happens if you try and put on a turbo in a garage? Which yeah. actually, no, <laughs> it's usually more successful. But like all those leaks, <laughs> high pressure is a hard fucking thing to deal with. Like it just yeah, is. well, and and other people have tried to do like rotary valves for um, like car engines, like internal combustion engines, mm-hmm. and they never really work because of this problem. Either you can't get them to seal or they just seize up when it gets too hot. Yeah, um, there is a couple different Australian people working on this back in the day. And really like regular poppet valves in in car motors today are are a pretty good technology for sealing something at high pressure. Like there's no reason, like if they made this engine with regular poppet valves, it probably would have worked just fine. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So if there's any engineers out there, try a poppet valve, we might have ourselves quite a, quite an engine. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's this design, this shape of this engine doesn't really offer that many advantages to a steam engine. Like there's better ways to make a steam engine. My opinion. This looks so cool, though. <laughs> yeah, uh, but maybe it would. I don't know. Maybe this is better for racing in theory, but who, well, I don't know what do I know. Um, I, I think I've said this before, but like if I had, you know, millions of dollars to burn like Bill Lear did in 1968, I would do some dumb shit like build a steam powered race car and try to like set a Bonneville record or uh, Pike's peak record or something like that. So I can kind of sympathize with, uh, with Bill Lear at this point. So it, maybe it's a good thing that I don't have millions of dollars. Maybe one person shouldn't have millions of dollars. Yeah. No more of that. No more. (laughs) (laughs) Now it wasn't making a whole lot of power on the test stand, but it was making huge amounts of torque. Uh, They said that it had enough torque to, twist truck axles into licorice not sure what that means exactly but a good amount because steam engines do tend to be real torquey like i think the the doble steam car of the 1930s had like around 100 horsepower and around like 700 foot pounds of torque something like that nice uh and all of that torque from zero rpm so it didn't need a transmission it was all direct drive and I might have to do uh, an episode in the future just about um, steam cars or turbine cars, for that matter, just because I think it's kind of fascinating. But um, anyways, I guess back to the uh, the Lear Vapordyne. Uh, they, they also had trouble with the condenser, which is like the radiator. It, it takes the steam at, after it leaves the engine and turns it back into water so that it can be boiled again. Um, it was way too small for... Uh, for the car that they had. And um, there, there was one source that I couldn't confirm said that one of the engineers misplaced a decimal point and made it 10 times smaller than it should be. 
boy. And uh, a reporter pointed this out to Bill Lear. And he's like, oh, no, that's not a problem because we invented something called lyrium. And it's a uh, it's a special com- chemical formula. It's a form of polymerized water uh, that carries its own lubricant. And it's a much more effective uh, working fluid than water in a steam engine. So they put a they put a little tablespoon of olive oil in their water. Huh? <laughs> or more, well, or the motor thing... oil, maybe like they just put a little oil in that water to carry the lubricant. The thing was that uh, uh, Bill Lear made all this up on the spot. So there was no lyrium. <laughs> <laughs> I see, um, I see but... the parallels to Elon Musk already. <laughs> but he did uh, he did pay some chemists to look into this and try to figure out if they could make a better working fluid. So this is exactly Musk. Oh, my God. This is a... <laughs> oh, we're, we have this thing that yeah. I paid someone yesterday to look into vaguely. <laughs> Yeah. It'll be ready in two years, I promise. Uh, they tried, I think, four different versions of this. They tried um, something that was uh, like like a refrigerant used in an AC system, like a, a hydrocarbon. Um, and that kind of worked. Um, I think we talked about this in uh, the very first episode. The uh, the Nap- Naphtha launch mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, like an early sort of steam engine that used a petroleum-based um, working fluid. That's right. I remember that being uh, working surprisingly well for having an explosive ass thing <laughs> making the steam. Right. Um, but uh, I'm not sure what all the different versions were. They they had uh, A through D, and the last one, um, the the chemist nicknamed it Delirium. <laughs> I mean, you have to, right? Yeah. And of course, none of them worked any better than water, and they <laughs> abandoned this uh, project. Let's see. Uh, Lear also sold the idea to the California Ho- Highway Patrol, uh, who were testing out alternative fuels for their cruisers at the time. And uh, he was going to put it in a. It's there's two different you know reports. It was is either a um, Chevy Malibu or a Dodge Polara. I'll I'll try and cut in a. Uh, a YouTube video here. I'll put it in the chat and you got, this is just like a three minute thing that um, is a uh, Lear explaining to the reporter about the, the car. So um... Lear's plans to build a $500,000 track were revealed during a noontime news conference. It'll be an exact duplicate of the famed Indianapolis raceway, home of the Memorial day 500. The reasons for building the two and a half mile oval are many. Current United States Auto Club rules for steam vehicles are non-existent. According to Lear, the rules are so nebulous and vague, chances of racing his steam engine are questionable. Lear's track, which is already under construction, will be completed by early March, allowing two months testing time to prove to USAC that a steam engine racer is not only feasible, but competitive. The track will also be used for testing conventional automobiles, and one of the first experiments will involve steam-driven California Highway Patrol cars. Well, Dwayne, this is the uh, California Patrol uh, mock-up car. Now, we'll deliver this to them sometime in probably the 1st of April. But this is a mock-up of exactly how the inside of the hood will look. This is the radiator. This over here is the auxiliary power plant that runs all the time that the steam is on or you've got the switch on. And uh, then this is the engine here, and this is the uh, this is the steam generator. 
Well, maybe in a quick fashion you can tell us uh, how the engine will function. Well, the engine itself is a six-cylinder engine, and I'd like to take this cover off of this mock-up here to show you the way that it operates. Uh, it's six cylinders, it has three crankshafts, it has 12 pistons, and the pistons go together in this fashion here. So what that does, it allows you to get more horsepower because you can get more expansion because the stroke can be shorter. You get double the expansion be uh, because you've got two pistons working in a single cylinder. And uh, it also gives you the opportunity of getting more horsepower because you can run it faster. The uh, torque on this engine will give you the torque of about a 600 horsepower engine. Power source is this uh, steam generator right here. And if you'll step over, I'll show you what's inside of that thing so you get a better idea. Now this is a partially completed steam generator. This is going to be for the Indianapolis 500. This generator will generate enough heat to heat 200 homes. At the same time, it will develop about 800 horsepower. How much uh, tubing are we talking about here? How long does it take to make something like that? Well, when this uh, generator is complete, it will have 800 feet of tubing in it and stainless steel. You said something earlier today that I found amazing, that the 800 horsepower turned out by this compares extremely favorably with the old locomotives. Well, uh, this boiler here, as you can see, is about 21 inches in diameter, about 25 inches long, and it puts out 800 horsepower compared with a, uh, a locomotive that put out 1,400 horsepower. And that's quite a lot larger, you'll have to admit. When it was originally announced that Lear planned to build a steam engine race car, there were plenty of doubting Thomases. As you can see, the car itself is already taking shape. The engine you just saw will sit in here alongside the driver, much like the turbine of Andy Granatelli. Lear makes it clear that he's not entering the racing business. However, he does plan to have two of these completed by mid-March, merely to prove the doubting Thomas is wrong. Long-range plans call for billions of dollars of steam units to be built here in Reno within the next five to ten years. It's Lear's contention that steam-driven automobiles are the cars of the future, and he's currently investing $10 million to... All right. Well, that cuts off a little abruptly there, but... Um, so... A lot of that was bullshit, um, <laughs> <laughs> if you couldn't guess. Uh, so, it's so they did. promising, though. I want it. <laughs> I want it to work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they did uh, at least uh, start bulldozing a track in the desert to uh, make a test track, but they never finished it. And uh, there was also a part of me that was just like, why do you have to make a special track to test steam engines? I'm like dude, you can just like ask someone to use the existing test track somewhere else. Be like, hey, can we run our car here real quick? Like you could pay the money and they'll let you do Like You don't have to build a whole new ass test track. But right. I thought I found that weird. I was like, all right, I guess you're I guess you're doing this for no reason. But OK, go go for it. I guess there's nothing out there yet. It's the 60s. You can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> was I going to say so they the the team was hoping to enter the car in the 1969 Indy 500 uh but that didn't happen um because of Bill Lear so one weekend when most of the engineering team was gone uh Bill Lear came into work and told the technicians he wanted them to start up the prototype engine and see it running uh-oh uh, so uh-oh this is classic <laughs> boss doing some boss shit like hey here's this thing that doesn't work can you do this thing and they're like no sir that's not how it works I'd like to see it anyway. Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! He's being a boss, and <laughs> God, it's gonna it's gonna go exactly how we think. Yeah. So, um, 
either someone forgot to put the right uh, lubricant in it or they were still having trouble with the rotary valve, but it seized up on the testing. <laughs> and... <laughs> Millions of dollars down the drain. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, they could have they could have fixed this one, but Bill Lear freaked out and canceled <laughs> the whole project. <laughs> he took his ball and went home. Yeah. <laughs> So he fired uh, Wallace and told the rest of the team to switch to a steam turbine setup. Totally so, change everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All so right, bud. I guess that threw off their timeline for uh, <laughs> the Indy race. Yeah, yeah I'll say. <laughs> oh man, this look. We don't need bosses. Hey, they're just unnecessary. This is this is the world that bosses have created. People look around. We don't need this shit. Yeah, um, they did finish the rolling chassis of the uh, the race car without a motor. Um, so they got the easy but, part done. OK. Yeah. <laughs> and they were kind of uh, cramming to get it done before an auto show. And they they didn't have a steering rack. So they got one from an MG and someone put it in upside down <laughs> so that when they went to like roll it onto the trailer, the guy turned left and it went right <laughs> and crashed into how a does, pillar. Hold on, how does that even happen? Like, I'm trying to imagine, like, what? How does? How do you turn the wheel? Like, how does it? I cannot yeah, imagine so, this. Yeah, steering racks. If you put them upside down, they go the other way. Uh, kind of okay. like a differential. Oh, okay. Thing. Yeah. All right. I I can see it now in my head because at first I was just like, this does not compute. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! That's hilarious. This is yeah. this is amazing. Um, the world was changed by by apparently a few automotive mistakes here and there. <laughs> Putting together a project car wrong has changed the world. Yeah, and and this car still exists, uh, the rolling chassis at least. Um, it's either in a private collection or a museum, I forget which, um, and they'll bring it out to car shows and stuff. And it, I don't know, I, I, in one of those, or in I think all those links I posted, there's... Uh, there's pictures of it and it it you can tell it's a little bit chunkier than the average uh, indie car kind of like what you were saying connor uh so i don't know how competitive it would have been even if they could have gotten it running um it was it was a little little oh, yeah. chubby that's thick yeah t-h-i-c-c <laughs> thick <laughs> Oof. um so they did develop a turbine engine but they also had trouble making enough power with that to be competitive in racing. However, they did figure it would be enough for maybe a car or a bus. So in 1972, Lear Vapordyne installed the steam engine, or excuse me, the steam turbine on a GMC bus with the help of uh, U.S. Department of Transportation and Mooney, the San Francisco Municipal Bus Company. So they were exploring alternative fuels at the time, you know, again, to to deal with uh, smog and emissions. Um, so it did work uh, for a while. Uh, the bus was tested on a regular route around the city, and they also ran it as a few times a few times as a coach back and forth to Reno. But in August 1972, Mooney rejected the design after it failed to return fuel economy better than 0.8 miles per gallon. <laughs> Oof. So Oof. Uh, it, it might have been clean. Yeah. 
<laughs> it might have been clean burning, but it was burning a lot of fuel. <laughs> yeah. Damn. And in uh, on May 14th, 1978, Bill Lear died of leukemia in Reno, Nevada. I'm sorry, what what, uh, what year? Uh, 1978. So he okay. was 75 years old. Gotcha. Interesting so character. I, yeah. And I do have a little addendum to this because in one of these uh, these web pages that I was reading, I scrolled down to the bottom and found a comment that was left by his son, John. Oh, um, interesting. Juicy. Yeah. Tell us more. Or, or at least someone claiming to be John Lear. So he goes on for like a couple paragraphs about the sailboat that his dad bought him from Ken Wallace. Which, uh, who cares? Uh, sailboats are boring. That, well, that's right. Um, that's that. That was the uh, Ken Wallace needed uh, some money, so he sold him a boat, and that's changed right. history. And so, yeah, this boat. Let's hear about it. Um. Yeah, boat stuff, and then uh, he says uh, the failure of Dad's steam engine was due to the fact that he knew nothing about rank and cycle propulsion. And that specifically the horsepower was directly related to the size of the condenser. So like we said, it was a lot smaller than it should be. That's why he changed to a steam bus. They used the top of the bus as a condenser, which I didn't find any other. I couldn't confirm that. Um, but maybe they did definitely have bigger radiators on the bus. Hmm. Um, they had more room to do the shit that they needed to. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, dad went on to design the Allegro business jet um, after he was passing. It was sold to Bombardier, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and after a lengthy, long lawsuit, uh, mom ended up with $75 million. Just before he passed away, he was working on an all composite twin engine, single propeller airplane. I was left out of his will. Actually, he left me $1, which I never got. What a fucking because... asshole. What a fucking <laughs> jerk off. You, they they do that so that you can't contest the will? Did you know I that? Uh, like, yeah. actually. What? Yep. If you leave someone nothing, they can contest your will, like a direct relative, like a son. Yeah. But if you leave someone a dollar, they can't contest the will. Wow. So that is like a gigantic <laughs> fuck you. Like, I'm not leaving you anything, and I'm specifically making sure that you can't get anything. What a mo- what a If this is all true. Wow. But, yeah. Again, the parallels to Elon Musk continue to stack <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. Fucking yeah. ass wipe. Look, I, I don't know nothing about his kid. Maybe his kid's an asshole, too. Rich kids tend to be. But uh, yeah, fuck these people. I- I'm getting to that. Oh, okay, um, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so the reason why he he gave him one dollar was uh, because I told him all the reasons why the Lear Fan would never be successful. Uh, Lear Fan Corporation filed bankruptcy circa 1984, owing investors 400 million dollars. So he was fucking right too. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> this is capitalism man it punishes you for being correct anyone who is a leftist knows this if you understand how it works you will be punished if you point it out hey this is stupid for xyz reason fuck you you're about to you're gonna have a miserable existence wow also he sounds like he knows what he's talking about because i was like oh okay this is awfully technical yeah i like i said i couldn't confirm all this stuff but yeah he seemed like he was he was there. Um, huh. 
Wow, what a fucking jerk off. He says, uh, I am 76 uh, when he wrote this in 2019, and I will probably never tell the story of why my mother and father were such abominations to the human race. The public does not. He should tell the story. What are you doing, man? (laughs) I want to know the story. I want to hear that. Yeah, fuck these people. They fucked you over, dude. Probably too- I'll give you more than a dollar for it, too. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, let me finish before you decide to give this guy any money. Okay. okay uh, all right. <laughs> my, my mother, who passed away in December 2001, left me $9.6 million, all but 400 of which was stolen by her attorneys, executor, and dishonest. <laughs> Ooh, the oh, parasites boy. of living off the corpse of... You know, the corpse is created by capitalism. I love it. Yeah. Am I bitter? Absolutely not. Well, uh, yeah. it sounds like you are. <laughs> yeah. It's not a little bitter, buddy. Uh, why? Because I know the truth about Mr. and Mrs. Lear, and I am happy I didn't share in their millions. What is the goddamn reti- truth? <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Uh, I'm retired, live in Las Vegas, and post on Facebook many of the secrets I became aware of during my 39 career as an airline pilot. Okay, now here's the big thing. Several of those years flying for the CIA in Southeast Asia, the oh Middle East, God. and Africa. Oh, no. Oh, oh my shit. God. Fuck this guy, oh, too. Shit. Fuck everyone. Unbelievable. <laughs> so, yeah, this guy was probably taking, like, uh, suspected terrorists to black sites in Morocco or something. Okay. All, everyone is everyone here is awful. I hate everyone. Jesus Christ. Yeah. No good guys in this one. And 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 I would give Bill credit for like, oh, yeah, fucking this guy over because your kid was an asshole. But that's probably not the reason it. Well, as you said, it's because he told me he was wrong. Not because yeah. he was a CIA spook, but be- <laughs> God, <laughs> fuck all of these people. Why do these people get to be in charge of our lives? man? Don't get it. Royalty capitalists. They're all the fucking same. Awful, stupid, inbred fucks telling us how to live and they get everything for it yeah so that's the uh that's the story of bill lear and vapordyne um like i said i'll uh probably talk more about other steam-powered cars in the future but uh that's all i got to for today um oh and uh if any wealthy investors want to uh help me make a uh, steam-powered race car uh I, i got a i got a totally real design for you (laughs) <laughs> you heard it folks we're, we're we bryant is an engineer just just in need of a small loan of a few million dollars yeah i i mean i don't it's have like an PR. engineering degree or anything don't um, need it don't need yeah. it yeah did bill lear yeah i mean bill lear was all self-taught oh. so there you go uh, hey entre all entrepreneurs the real entrepreneurs they're all self-taught they didn't need no college. They didn't, you know, they balked the system. They dropped out of college and then, you know, got millions of dollars from their parents or family or something. And then they entrepreneured themselves and, you know, did good stuff. That's how it works. Exactly. Yeah. If they would have went to college, they could have gotten some of that uh, Marxist brainwashing. So <laughs> you know what? Now that I think that. about it, I feel like we, Cars and Comrades Incorporated, should come up with some bootstraps that we can sell. Like we should like like bootstraps that connect to your boots and you lift yourself up. That's what we should in- invent and sell. Bootstraps. Yeah. Cars yeah, and Comrades sure. Incorporated now in the bootstraps business. 
it'll, yeah, it'll come with a, like... it'll come with a little backstory like on a fortune cookie and it's like oh <laughs> this is your backstory you started a business in a basement and then you lifted yourself up and here's the bootstraps you're good to go millions of dollars coming your way you liquidated your assets and put it all into NFTs. And... <laughs> <laughs> we could sell you an NFT of the bootstraps that we sold you too. <laughs> oh man! If NFTs were around in 1968, Bill Lear would have been all over that. <laughs> oh God, yeah, he would have. That little animation that was in the uh, article of the motor, uh-huh. the the three crankshaft, that thing. Yeah, that would have been an NFT for sure. For like a million dollars, he'll sell you the NFT of how his motor works. Yeah, it's the same as the animation you can see online, except this one has right. a little line of code that says this was sold the IP address, blah, 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 at some point. Yeah. Yeah, it's non-fungible, bro. <laughs> More like non-functional. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Um, one thing I forgot about that engine is, um, the, the Delta engine had one of the crankshafts spinning the opposite way of the other two. I noticed that. And the Lear engineers, uh, didn't know that and what? spent a lot of time trying to figure out what? what it wasn't working with <laughs> them the all fuck? turning in the same direction. I noticed it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh what? My God. Oh, they give degrees to these people, man. <laughs> I'm just telling you, every fucking degree is just a line of bullshit. You can, anyone can get these degrees if you just work hard and do the homework. They'll give these degrees to fucking anybody. Oh, man. Incredible. All right. Well, uh, anything else to add before we close out here? Capitalism sucks. Yes. (laughs) No such thing as a good billionaire. Agreed. Agreed. Um, also, hey, if you like our podcast, maybe uh, think about giving us a rating. I think those help us in some way, shape, or form. I don't really know, but... Make us feel nice. Yeah, ratings are good. We like to hear from listeners. And, you know, shoot us a message if, uh, I don't know, you want to, whatever. And follow us on social media, which we've got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, sort of, marginally. Uh, Hexbear, Reddit. And I think that's it. Did I get them all? Yeah. Yeah, come come yeah, follow us there. I, so. I know you spend a lot of time on it, right? We all do. Come on. So come follow us if you aren't already. All right. Well, uh, good night or goodbye, everyone, whatever time of day it is. Yeah, it could be good. Good morning. Could be. I don't know. Maybe you're yeah. driving to work to your shitty job that you hate. <laughs> whatever. I maybe don't know. You're, maybe you're designing Just... a steam powered uh, race car. <laughs> at your job right now <laughs> or a 10 track bullshit job track radio doing. player yeah <laughs> <laughs> well in any case bye listeners thanks for uh joining us again i don't know why you do it but thanks <laughs> all right bye bye my calculations are correct when this baby hits 88 miles per hour you're gonna see some serious shit When left entirely on its own devices, capitalism foists its diseconomies and its toxicity upon the general public and upon the natural environment, and then it 
does an interesting thing. It eventually begins to devour itself. If the paladins of corporate America want to know what really threatens our way of life, it's their way of life. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Uh, it's important that we examine the twin forces behind the Biden candidacy. The billionaires and the Bolsheviks. Ha 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 ha!